We all want life to be the best it can. We all have dreams, but it's easy to be discouraged and frustrated when something doesn't work out. That's when you need to keep on pushing. Well, no one knows more about pushing through than Devin Harris. Devin is a three-time Olympian and captain of the Jamaican bobsled team. If that isn't an obstacle, nothing is. Devin will show you how to pursue your big dreams, bounce back from setbacks, and keep on pushing. You'll be challenged and inspired to live your best life. Welcome to Keep On Pushing Radio. Here's your host, Hey guys, Devin welcome Harris. to Keep On Pushing Radio. I am your host, Devin Harris. And yeah, man, you know, our goal remains the same, is to uh, share ideas and insights that are going to challenge you and inspire you to keep on pushing and live your absolute best life. Because you know we want that from you. We want that of you and for you. And if you want the same, it means you're in the right place. So again, welcome to Keep On Pushing Radio. Our guest today wears many hats. Uh, he's uh, an award-winning professor, a consultant, a radio personality, an author, a trainer, you know, a speaker, the list goes on. Um, but he's also a tattooed biker dude. And as, as, as one of those guys, he has actually broken the mold and, and that has led him to become one of the most in-demand leadership speakers in the world. His focus is on authenticity and the aspects of interpersonal relationships that drive something that all of us, I believe, are interested in, and that's you know, personal and professional success. And so without further ado, I'm really excited to welcome Todd Dewitt to the show. Todd, welcome to Keep On Pushing, bro. Hey, it's great to see you. I appreciate you having me. Love your story. Very happy to be here, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for coming. You know, so Todd, you know, I am, I am really big on authenticity. Um, and I think most people are as well. But it's, it's strangely enough, one of those things that I don't think we know how to define. How, how would you define authenticity? You know, I'd back up where you started there. It's a really interesting comment. Uh, everyone, when I talk to them, and maybe for the better part of 10 years, I've been talking about authenticity in some form now. Uh, they all get it. They all go, yep, I value that. I see why it's good. The question is, do we actually care about it enough to behaviorally kind of enact it and be authentic? And, and there's a couple couple things there. One is people aren't sure exactly how to define it. What, what does that mean? Does it mean I tell you personal things I'm not supposed to tell you? Or does that mean I just loosen up and stop being a stiff professional? And so in terms of definition, uh, I am kind of uh, most of the time speaking to a professional audience. And what I mean by authenticity at work is, is this. So down here, you got best friends on a spectrum. And down here, you've got sterile, cold, distant, professional-only relationship. Most people at work stay over here. Authenticity is that sweet spot in the middle where you are first and foremost a professional, but you also let down that wall, pull back that curtain just a little bit, and you let some of that personality, those interests, that stuff that defines you as a human, not just a professional, right. come out. So you get to know people as people. Not trying to be best friends, but trying to be people who are in relationships to do business. Yeah. So, you know, we obviously take ourselves to, to work. We take ourselves into the world. And, 
you know, we, we're always growing, we're always changing. That's something that I speak about a lot. You know, the keep on pushing philosophy is about, sure. you know, growing and, and reinventing ourselves, you know. So how does that philosophy, this idea of, of, of us embracing change, how does that, how do we square that, that hole with this business of being authentic? Well, it's funny, you know, one of the topics, you can't plan life, you know this, you make a plan and you should, and then life happens and who knows where it goes. The pandemic is the most uh, profound example we've all seen recently. Mm -hmm. So one of the, I, I wear a leadership hat most of the time, but there's a lot of slices there from motivation to communication to teams. And one of them is managing change or initiating change, which is quite related to creativity, innovation. Yeah. And the pandemic has thrown that concept right to the front, to where everyone cares about it a lot. So for, the answer to your question is pretty simple. When people are experiencing ambiguity, excess stress, change is being uh, uh, kind of unwanted and forced on them, that's what the pandemic is. Mm -hmm. The question is, under those conditions, when does a leader get more effective and have people really stop feeling so chaotic, get ordered, get productive in the face of that challenge? That's where authenticity comes in. Most people under difficult uh, conditions really don't start feeling comfortable until they know someone. So let me clarify that. You can believe in someone's title and their authority, but to get comfortable and then really productive under difficult conditions, that requires knowing them a little, liking them at least a little. That's where the authenticity comes in. It's a relationship lubricant, if you will, that mm -hmm. makes navigating change a little bit easier. Um, interesting that you brought up that, you know, the whole business of leadership and the relationship between the leader and those that are in his charge or her charge. Um, because so many people, unfortunately, even today, view leadership as that role, that title, as opposed to um, someone who is there to guide and help and, and, and influence in a positive way. How, how do does that new leader bridge that gap between, hey, I need to, you know, earn respect while at the same time, you know, pull away that curtain to show who I really am? You know, it's funny. There's a, the implication in those comments is that to be authentic is a risk. To be vulnerable is a risk. And some people might like it. Others might somehow lose confidence in you and it hurts your ability to lead. I, I love to be um, accurate and honest. That is a possibility. It is not common or a threat that should stop you from trying to get the benefits of being authentic in a relationship. So what I, I tell people is that at work all the time, people are starving for human connection. And yet we very often don't give each other human connection because we go back to that place over here where, where relationships are sterile, distant, measured, and professional only. So mm. what I tell people is, look, if you're going to put a toe in the water and start being a little more real, a little more honest, a little more personality uh, filled, a little more authentic authentic, it won't be a perfect run and that's okay. What you're looking to do is to become less sterile, less professional only, little by little, so that others feel comfortable to maybe start reciprocating that. Now look, sometimes you might ruffle someone's feathers or be a little too personal. That's why you, you watch people. You, you try and read them. And if necessary, you pull back. But because the average is so bad at work where everything is professional and distant and not personal, my job most of the time is to remind people they need to loosen up and not worry about the risks and try and be a little more authentic.
Yeah, I, I so agree because part of the, I think, challenge for many leaders is, is, is this idea that the leader has to know it all and he or she has to be, ah. have the strong, um, you know, face all the time versus recognizing that vulnerability, showing that, showing some weakness, is actually, it humanizes you and then and endears you to, to others that then helps them to want to do everything they can to help you to succeed. Um, so I was, I, you know, once upon a time, I, I was a young army officer. Yeah. And, and I remember I was on base outside this building waiting for whatever. Um, you know, and I was tra still straddling the fence, I would say, Todd, between being a young army officer and this kid from the ghettos. And so while I'm there waiting outside, I was leaning up against the wall like I was back in the hood. Yeah. And uh, um, this captain who was walking by, you know, he gave me a, a good tongue lashing, deservedly so. <laughs> um, so the, the, I guess the challenge is in, in, in us being authentic, being who we are, uh, you know, at the core, we spoke about sure. this idea of embracing change and reinventing ourselves. How do we then, um, Todd, navigate the, the behaviors, the attitudes, even, you know, our deeply held beliefs, uh, you know, um, with this new environment uh, to which are, in which we have you now pushed ourselves? Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, in terms of how people react like your superior did back in the day, you never, ever know how people are going to react. You're right. The truth is, the more authentic you are, the more you are vulnerable in taking risks. I admit that. I just got to tell you, you do start slowly but surely by drawing lines and being you, and then you watch how people react. Now, how does that matter today because of the pandemic and the crisis more than normal? It's not that it, uh, it has a unique effect now. It, it's just an, a more important effect. And what I mean by that is when people are experiencing high stress, ambiguity, and to be frank, today uh, a lot of despair and depression are more common because mm -hmm. people are losing jobs or fearful of losing jobs, etc. What that means is that there's even more than normal a premium on feeling uh, human, feeling accepted, bonded, understood, and not alone. That's a huge one, not alone. So the idea as a leader uh, who's still connected to others of dealing with openly some of these more difficult concerns that every single one of us deals with just makes you human and to use your words in the eyes of others, which is precisely what you wanna do. The big classic fallacy, the lie, is that to be an effective leader, you've gotta be confident and act like you know everything, have never made a mistake, and have no doubt whatsoever. And as you pointed out, that is absolutely positively not accurate. Now, it is true that if you want to be effective over time, you have to learn how to display very genuine confidence. That's true. It's simply incomplete because you can show confidence. You can do things and show competence. But the truth is, if you want the effect of those things to be maximized, there's more you got to show. That's the human part that we were just talking about. So when you're making a big decision, it's not true that you got to go, I know the answer and here it is. And just no. the truth is you're supposed to go, I've been thinking about this deeply. 
I've considered your input. I know it's probably one of these two options I'm considering, but I want you guys to help me get over the top and pick the one that actually fits our situation the best. Now, what I just did was take ownership, said, here's our situation, and said, without flinching or looking weak, I also really want to need your input so that we can make this decision. That's a great leader. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, back to my, old, my, young, my young or my old army days. I'm not sure which, which adjective I should use. Back to my old army days when I was younger. Um, and, and I wonder how you advise uh, a young person starting out in the professional world. How do they, they're trying to assert themselves. They're trying to show what they're capable of. And so here it is again, my, my, my boss, my company commander, he would say, Harris, do so-and-so, and I want you to do it this way. Now, I kind of resented that. I'm like, I'm a thinking man. Tell me what to do and let me go figure out how to do it. So invariably, I would do what he told me to do, but i do it my way. <laughs> you didn't last long in the military, did you? Long, long enough. <laughs> but I got in trouble. I got in trouble. Um, how do we navigate that, man? How do we... Like, oh, you know, show our competence while at the same time, I guess, you know, pleasing sure. the boss. I don't know. All right. So I'm going to give you an answer you probably didn't want, but I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. And one of the reasons that I have traction out in the market uh, is because I'm, I'm 49, almost 50. And I'm at an interesting age where there's so many people who are above me now, at least in the States. Uh, and tons that are invading and taking over the millennials and Zs below me. So I'm kind of in the middle, mm -hmm. and I look a little bit different than most of the guys in this space. Right. Uh, so, so young people in particular ask me questions like that all the time, and I give them an answer that they're usually not expecting because I look a little different, I'm loud, and so they expect me to say something that they think is enlightened and pro-young right. people, and I don't. So the youngs, the, the youngins, the Zs, the millennials, have a stronger desire to be expressive, like I do, than older generations, Gen uh, X, for example, which is what I'm part of. They really do, and they run into a conundrum that you just gave a, a beautiful example of, where they want to just hear what needs to be done and go do it as they see fit, and they're not really attuned to caring about details that were given to them or hierarchy and precedence and rules of behavior. Uh, and, and my here's the advice. The advice is... I hear you. Let me validate you because you're a human and I can't wait to, to see what kind of creative response you have to that question. But the truth is, for young professionals, first quarter of your career, you've got to go earn the right to be fully you. Now, that sounds weird, but think about that. I want you to earn the right to be fully you. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that's real simple. I want you to listen not question, get too creative and try to change the world in your first few uh, uh, you know, weeks and months and year as a young professional. Go do what was asked of you and do it at a high level because the more you meet expectations, improve yourself to be a, what I think of as a 20 percenter, meaning an above average productive value added employee. The more you do that on a sustained basis, 
using the definitions that were given to you by your superior, the more you start earning the latitude to be as colorful, expressionate, and creative in doing your work as you see fit. By year three, by year five of your career, if you've proven with a great track record that you know how to get things done following basically the established rules and precedents and norms, you will have earned plenty of latitude. And I can tell you this, I love telling young people this, when you think about being in year 10, which sounds a long way off for some of you, but it's really not year 20, 30, 40, that's a long way off. But when you think about being in year 10, if you want to be you times 10, I mean, just fully express, great, you can get there, but you got to earn your way there through exemplary repeated performance. So that's your ticket to creative expression. Mm. So you're saying, hey, young buck, uh, don't push back too hard on the norms. In fact, follow the rules, um, observe the norms, because if you, uh, you push this idea of authenticity, authenticity, wanting to be me, um, too hard is going to backfire. I think it can backfire if you give too much too quick. And the best insulation by far is a great track record of performance. Yeah. You know, as, as we're here talking, I, I, my mind just jumped back to the 1998 Olympics. It's really interesting. So at the Olympic Games, certainly the Winter Olympics, you can look at an athlete and guess fairly accurately what, what sport they did, right? So like a bobsledders are bigger guys, but so are, so are ice hockey players. The difference is that the ice hockey player, his face is all cut up, right? <laughs> Missing tooth of a hockey player. <laughs> you know? yeah. Huge thighs, or oh, figure skate, uh, you know, speed skater, and 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 I think '98 was the first time they had uh, snowboard, uh, ah. and and you could tell the snowboarders they weren't wearing the Olympic uniforms <laughs> <laughs> because they wanted to express themselves. Yeah, they're like, I got my own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so how did you talk to me about your journey? Because you are a tattooed guy who is standing in front of a, a, a classroom uh, teaching. It's, that's not the typical look as a, as a sure. professor. Sure. So how, how did you, uh, you know, bridge that gap? Sure, no, it's, it's uh, my story kind of follows the things that I teach and preach in some ways. Uh, first of all, I'm no longer a professor. I retired a few years ago. I stand on stages pretty much full time now. Uh, but it's the same thing, and the answer to your question still matters. So when I started, I was just like the young people I was making fun of just a minute ago. I started working for Anderson and Ernst & Young, two of the largest consulting firms in the world back in the day, and wore a crispy Brooks Brothers suit and a starchy white shirt and a nice, simple, conservative red tie. And I had my hair back when I still had some hair. <laughs> I had some hair, and it was all conservative and simple, and I was shaved and I had no tats to speak of and the ones I did have were hidden effectively inside my shirt and the reason I did that was because I could feel this is an interesting thing at work even if you can't articulate the norms around you you can very often feel them because you watch group behaviors people behaving around you and how they act uh, and I could tell there was a price to be paid for being different. So I've had these peers since I was 18 years old. I had to take those out. I had to look correct. I had to wear the right things. And anytime I tried early on to look a little more like I normally 
tend to look, which is a little more casual and laid back. I could feel the eyes on me. And then quickly, I actually was called out. So I had to learn the hard way like anyone else. I was called out by one of my very first bosses, and I was sent to the adult equivalent of the principal's office. Do you know what the adult equivalent of the principal's office is? Would that be HR? HR. <laughs> and I was sent to HR for a violation. You know what my violation yeah. was? I had grown a goatee. How dare you? <laughs> How dare me? And I got kind of taken to task back in the day before everyone was fully casual and that became normal. Today, of course, blue jeans and goatees are kind of not everywhere, but much more normal. So I had to earn it just like I was saying through excellent performance before slowly, step by step, I could loosen up and become me because when you kill it with the work, no one really minds how you look. Mm. So you're saying um, performance um, before authenticity, basically. I don't want to say it's more important. I would never say that because I believe in individuals and human, uh, uh, the, the value of a human and the need for us to express. I would say that performance absolutely is your path towards lower risk authenticity. Mm. How did you uh, make, or perhaps why do you make that, uh, I guess, that transformation from the classroom to the stage? Well, it is a journey, isn't it? So for me, when I think about uh, success in life, career success, I think about one word above all else, and that word is fit. That is how much do you naturally, based on your personality, interests, and skills, align with whatever the job might be? Uh, the short answer to your question is consulting fit me back in the day decently not perfectly at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't fit in, in a, uh, as a cog in a large machine, which is what those are, even though they were great places to be. And I still do work as a speaker for those firms today. Uh, and then I moved to academia, got the PhD at Texas A&M and became a professor. That fit very well in terms of skills, interests, abilities. I couldn't believe they were paying me to teach and write academic papers. I thought, this is amazing. I'm lucky, mm -hmm. lucky, lucky. And then about uh, five years maybe into that, the phone had started ringing, the speaking thing was happening, and I was developing a market off of campus, if you will, which is now global. And the idea of writing and blogging, creating books, standing on stage, I love and it fits me every bit as good or better than being in that classroom in, in the ivory tower. So not once but twice, I've been lucky to answer your question and found a calling that fits my interests very, very well. Yeah, you know, so I, so I, I often, um, equate I use the word authenticity a lot actually when I advise uh, up and coming speakers I'm like hey the you the most important thing you can be is authentic right yeah. because people just know man how many times have you met someone and you go you know I, I don't know what it is can't put my finger on it but there's a something off with that guy or that girl um you're very right. So authenticity, authenticity is the most, in my mind, uh, powerful way in which we can show up in the world. Um, Agreed. But even if we're giving off bad energies, though, it's not true. Well, so there is the question I get very often at some point, like right now, is so what's the downside to authenticity? And I've mentioned some of the costs if you're vulnerable, you know, and so on. You're not projecting confidence full time. There's another angle when you want to talk about the downside. And again, the downside's not that big of a deal because the truth is we're usually starved for authenticity. 
but I will answer your question. Yes, there are some wacky people on this planet, and we don't look at them and go, man, I wish they would be more authentic so we could have more of that. So I say that to groups, uh, and they laugh just like you, because we can all think of people right. who we don't need more loud authentic authenticity from. So that's true, but the question is what's true on average? And on average, most people are decent and kind and they're okay to work with and we want them to be a little more real. But when you find those strange people, yeah, I'll admit it. You're not supposed to go and enter some coaching moment with them where you encourage more authenticity or anything like that. You're supposed to leave them alone and hope they do their job and don't bother anyone. <laughs> right, so I've asked, I've asked actually someone else who I interviewed on this program about those kinds of people, those, uh, especially leaders that I, I don't call strong leaders, I call them strong arm leaders, um, who are being authentic in their own right. And, yep. and, and they have huge following, huge support. Sure. What does that say as a social scientist, I suppose, what does that say about us as, as individuals who are, for the most part, good, decent people? Yeah, so... Following these people who we shouldn't be, you know, lauding. Well, I mean, it says a lot. It's a great question. It says a lot about us. We have, um, we're in the middle of an evolution. It's slow and it's been going on for maybe 30 years or so. This slightly ever more enlightened take on leadership and what it means to relate to people at work. We're getting very slowly better and better at that. It used to be that hierarchies, command and control, and the use of fear as a motivator dominated leadership practice and thought. 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. Today, that's still around in pockets. The military, for example, uses understandably a much more strict command and control, sometimes some negativity that people understand for different reasons. That, But in corporate life, that's become a real problem and we don't want to validate that. Now, this is fun. This is really fun for me to say. 40 years ago, there wasn't as nearly as much research that backs up what people like me today say. Today, we have many decades of great organizational research that tell us the following. When an organization, on average, because there's a lot of managers in a given organization, but on average, has more enlightened managers that follow people-centric principles, kind of like we've begun discussing today, on average, over time, they perform better. They retain talent more, they're more innovative. That's not something we're just telling you we think is true, we've got good data that suggests that's true. So, if you see that boss who's not inspiring, and maybe they're too strong-armed, to use your phrase, and yet they've got a good following, here's what I know as an observer, as a social scientist who walks in and, and looks at people on occasion, I gotta tell you, here's what I know. People are lost in their love of performance when, with, with a narrow view of performance. That is to say, the metrics we care about, whatever those metrics might be, sales, costs, satisfied customers, who knows what they might be. We're lost on the narrow view of those metrics and we don't care nearly enough about how we achieve those metrics. The enlightened firms I was talking about care both about those metrics we're trying to achieve and how we achieve them because long term if you don't care about that how part which is building relationships great teams great culture if you don't care about that your ability to hit those metrics over time goes down goes down talent leaves etc so i respect that people respect the achieving hard strong arm boss and i have to report to you you cannot revere them you can't validate them and over time you have to change them or replace them because they will spoil a culture fast. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you, whether it's a strong arm boss or, you know, a decent guy, yeah. um, you know, you are a straight shooter and you have not the best news in the world um, to deliver. How, how do you do that and still be true to you? Sure. Well, I mean, that's a cornerstone of, of being a leader because if it was easy, you know, nobody would be around talking about it all the time the way we are today. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And one of the most common hard things you got to do is deliver information people don't want. Hey, uh, we're actually losing sales and that means we might do some layoffs or some sort of right sizing or downsizing. Or guess what? There's a pay freeze. There's a hiring fees. Or guess what? You didn't get the promotion. You didn't get the raise. That's a normal thing, giving difficult information. So my advice is always this. Stop the ounce of sugar thing your mom taught you where you're supposed to ease into it with innuendo and, and sweetness and, and get to the negative thing. No, you're supposed to value positive candor. Candor means forthright saying it, getting to the point without beating around the bush, mm -hmm. but you can do that kindly or positively. So if I got to say, Devon, look, uh, you didn't get the promotion. I'm not going to take five minutes. I'm going to sit down and say, thank you. I know you're busy. Let me start with saying you didn't get the promotion. We can talk about that to make sure that you know why I made this decision and maybe how you feel about it or what you want to do about it because I want to help you moving forward. But that is the decision that was made. Mm -hmm. So that was basically kind, clear, and straight forward that is almost there's exceptions but that is almost always the best approach to difficult information yeah how about um i guess it's connected you know making those difficult decisions for yeah. the firm for the company for the team uh you know again some leaders will see this thing as a popularity contest right they don't want to made that tough decision and so they kind of beat around the bush uh in a really inauthentic way how how do they how do you suggest they approach this hey you're asking really really good central questions man uh this one hurts a lot of people in practice in leadership roles because they want to be liked is the word i would use it's just mm -hmm. like popular man they want to be liked and i have to tell people there is a coin of the realm a thing you're chasing that is far more important than being liked or popular that thing is respected because long term and there is good research to back this up you can make decisions that people do not always like that do not always benefit them but if they understand and believe in you hey you have integrity hey you included us in the decision process hey you explained your rationale so whether I liked it or not I understand the decision when that's the context they will absolutely accept and abide by decisions they don't love and still respect you even if they like you sometimes, don't like you other times, like you, don't like you, they will respect you and stay committed to what we're working on. That's the power of having a, a good leader with integrity and transparency. You know, that I word is so powerful, Todd. I, I so agree with you because if people know that you are an up and up, uh, yep. uh, you know, kind of guy or girl um, who will tell them the truth and you know, be always open and transparent to them. Yes, you'll may have to make decisions that they will not like one bit, but they trust you. Correct. They trust that you are making this decision, arriving at this conclusion from a, you know, almost pure place, from a good, from a good place. Correct. What, 
when you work, you know, whether on the stage or just working with companies, what would you say is perhaps the the biggest hurdle that they have to overcome, uh, whether at the leadership level or um, just in terms of interpersonal relationship, true interpersonal relationships? Great question. So, you know, I mean, there's probably 20 ways I would love to answer that. Let me give you just one. Probably my favorite answer involves how leaders at the top third of the organization often lose touch with where they came from. So one of the biggest punchlines in- Preach it, brother. Absolutely, man. And this, this is not a knock on them. This is human nature. Uh, one of the oldest maxims in leadership is that leaders model the way. And so the question then for any given leader is, what is it you are modeling for others? What are you showing others through your behaviors every day? And my observation as a person who gets to observe for a living is that people on the top third of organizations very often lose sight of that mantra and don't really appreciate what it is that they're modeling or showing every day. And slowly, they often get really bad habits into the equation such as I have preferred parking, I have a corner office, I have a special elevator, I get to wear different clothes, I get all kinds of perks and rules and things that don't apply to me that apply to them, etc, etc. Things that make us separate or feel separate from the most, the average person in the organization. The more you indulge in that, your model is not effective because the number one way a leader teaches someone is not through saying stuff, it's through doing things because when people see you, that's called vicarious learning and it is a strong way to tell people without using any words exactly where you stand and what you believe in. So if I could give one piece of advice, it was, hey, get out of, the, get out of those executive offices, look at how you're speaking acting, dressing, and where you're walking and who you're talking to and see if you could remember where you came from, what they look like, how they talk, and spend more time not with people at the top third, but t- people at the bottom two-thirds. And that will make you much more sensitive to the model that you're showing every day. Yeah, I so agree, man. People do what you do. And I think one of the, perhaps one of the, the ways that leaders can remain grounded is by imagining if they, if their, if the people under their charge was behaving and performing in the same way that they're doing, would you want them to, to clone you? Would in fact, even at home, would you want your kids to 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 clone you and to behave the way you behave? Oh, so, that's great. Yeah, you know, so so yeah, this this uh, this thing, authenticity, is uh, as we started out as a. Uh, word that we don't really know how to define, but it impacts um, our lives, certainly our ability to have strong interpersonal relationships and achieve not just success, but I want, would you agree well-being as, as we yeah. navigate I mean, the world? We're just at the front end of an era, really, where we care about stress and burnout and well-being and, and our physical and mental selves. I mean, we're just now beginning to admit that work life is the number one health threat on planet earth. And it is, there's mm-hmm. plenty of science to back it up. It's not quite in common conversation yet, but sitting, feeling the stress, there's, there's 20 things we do as core parts of our work every day in office environments that are causing health problems. So the idea, uh, and we're just now beginning to think about how leadership uh, really impacts mental health on top of physical health. And there's plenty to talk about there. So the, the, the word well-being, and there's different versions of that, 
that's great and it should be a focus. If people, I like to think, make it practical for people. Think about voluntary turnover. Know what the history is for your organization and for your team and for your industry if you can get your hands on that data. Because if you are at the average or better of voluntary turnover, meaning you're keeping people longer than most people do, you're doing something really well. I mean, it's possible you have low standards and it's just a great job, but I don't want that. Assuming right. you have decent standards, that means you're really a good leader with a great culture and the team likes being a part of what's going on. If you have worse than average voluntary turnover, that's a big red light that suggests something you're doing is not producing the well-being uh, that we need to see people happy and productive and staying put for longer periods of time. Yeah. So um, interesting point, you know, you know, work and leadership can adversely uh, impact well-being. That's something I thought about before, though, the, the leadership aspect, but it just goes to show how important leadership is and how important it is to be truly authentic. You know, Todd, I think we're going to have to have a, a, another conversation. <laughs> this, this, this has been enlightening. Um, you know, even for a tattooed guys, you're pretty well. Tattooed guys are cool. <laughs> Defying stereotypes, we are. Uh, uh, you know, enlightening. Well, that's a bonus, dude. So, 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 thank you so much. Hey, guys, if you enjoy this, uh, don't forget to like it. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share it with your friends. So, 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 Todd, I know that you are a consultant and you're a speaker. How does someone find you to get some of that authentic message? Sure. Thanks for asking. Two obvious uh, responses there. One is find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with anyone who's listening. Uh, and the other is my website, which is kind of my home on the web, which is drdoit.com. Drdoit.com. Hey, I love it, man. Thank you again for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. As always, keep on pushing. My pleasure. Thanks, man.